Gracious God, we thank you for this uh, beautiful day that you've given us, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you for who you are, for truly you are worthy to receive all honor and glory and praise. We thank you for the wonders of your creation, how fearfully and wonderfully made is everything, and particularly how fearfully and wonderfully made are we, your uh, creation in your own image, uh, in the likeness of God. You created man and woman, and we thank you for that image you've set upon us, and we thank you even more for how you have redeemed that image, uh, once fallen in the sin, that uh, from uh, before the foundations of the world, you ordained to send your son, Jesus Christ, to make atonement for our sin, to convey to us the righteousness and holiness that we need to uh, dwell in your presence forever, uh, to root out all sin and to clothe us in righteousness. And we thank you how your most Holy Spirit, um, the one who in the very creation gave us life, uh, gives us new life in Jesus Christ by uniting us to him and to his full and finished work on our behalf and continuing to grow us in Christ's image to grow us in conformity uh, with the holiness that Christ himself possesses. We thank you for the way you've revealed yourself to us by uh, the prophets and by ascending of your son, Jesus, the very word incarnate. And we thank you for this opportunity uh, this morning as we complete our study of the Holy Spirit um, that we would uh, not be finishing uh, thinking about the Holy Spirit, but that this would just be the beginning of thinking about who you are, and even more so that as we, uh, the more we know who you are, the more we would come to worship you, and as we uh, study today, that uh, we would be uh, particularly led into worship of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, well, today we come to the close of our semester-long look at the Holy Spirit. Um, way back uh, in January, Pastor McGuire uh, started our class off by looking at um, how the scriptures um, present the Holy Spirit as God. Uh, the Bible clearly assigning to the Holy Spirit the names and attributes of God. And then we talked about the Holy Spirit as a person. We often fall into the error of thinking of the Spirit as some impersonal force rather than as a distinct person to whom we relate and to whom uh, is relationship between the Father and the Son. Uh, we spent a few weeks trying to wrap our minds around the, that doctrine of the Trinity, that the scriptures clearly teach that there is one God alone, but the same scripture also clearly states that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. There are three distinct, equal, and eternal persons in that one Godhead. All three are equally God, and each is e always involved in creating, redeeming, and sustaining the world. Nevertheless, the Bible assigns distinct work and relations to each person of the Trinity. Um, in terms of our redemption, the New Testament assigns the Father the role of originating the plan of salvation. The Son executes the plan through his incarnation and sacrifice on the cross, and the Holy Spirit applies Christ's redeeming work, making it effective in us by uniting us to Christ. In terms of creation, the Old Testament particularly describes God's Spirit as being the ordering and perfecting agent in the material world. The Spirit is represented as the source of all order, life, and light in the universe. The Spirit's not fashioning the material things out of nothing, but is bringing them life, breathing breath into them, animating life, um, bringing orderly movement to uh, living creatures. After the rupture of the fall, we talked about how the Holy Spirit worked among God's chosen nation, Israel, Filling their leaders and equipping their prophets, work that one scholar defined as the theocratic work of the Spirit. The theocratic Spirit appears to be represented as the executive of the Godhead within the sacred nation. 
the divine power working in the nation for the protection, governing, instruction, and leading of the people to its destined goal. Not only did the Spirit empower the rulers of Israel from the time of Moses until the raising up of kings, he also filled prophets who spoke God's truth to the people. And those prophets we saw um, prophesied about a future outpouring of the Spirit, um, this part of the future redemptive work of God's Messiah. The Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament promised a grander, more extensive presence of God's Spirit among all his people. As we turn to the New Testament, we noticed how the Gospels emphasize the role of the Holy Spirit in Jesus's birth. The ministry of Jesus in word and deed was carried forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. In everything he did, Jesus knew in himself a mighty force working that was beyond himself. Jesus lived and moved in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The Gospels not only present Jesus as the bearer of the Spirit, but he promised to bestow his Spirit upon us. Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost publicly marked the transition from the Old to the New Covenant and signified the commencement of the now uh, of the day of salvation. All whom the Spirit regenerates, he also baptizes, fills, and endows with power for ministry. No unbeliever has the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but every believer, every regenerate person does have this Holy Spirit Saving faith absolutely correlative with Christ as Lord, and thus to believe is to enter into the same gift as the first disciples received at Pentecost, namely the Holy Spirit. We then saw how the Spirit unites us to Christ and applies to us the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection. As the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, especially works to sanctify us, to free us from the dominion of sin, to remove its corruption, and to conform us to the image of Christ so that we might live in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. In justification, God removes the eternal penalty of our sin and declares us righteous. In adoption, God makes us children and heirs. In sanctification, God makes us holy, growing us into saints that he has chosen us to be. Against the selfish and self-serving desires of the flesh, Holiness is about our new internal character that manifests itself in a particular way of life. The fruit of the Spirit come from our life-giving connection to the true vine, Jesus Christ, new dispositions that emulate his humble life of service for us. And finally, over the last two weeks, we've talked about how the Spirit equips uh, the diverse members of his church with various gifts to enable us to be part of one body of Christ, just as uh, there is three persons and one God, so there are many members, but many members that make up one body of Christ, uh, the church. Uh, unlike the regenerative changes that the Spirit works in us, or unlike the fruit of the Spirit, spiritual gifts are not given uniformly to all believers, but are variously distributed in different degrees to the diverse members of Christ's body, fitting us for particular service to the whole church and fitting us to need one another. So today, our class, in a sense, comes full circle as we come to an end, um, as we return to uh, uh, an emphasis on the divinity of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is fully God and that we must uh, then worship the Spirit alongside the Father and the Son. All that we've learned about the Holy Spirit in the past uh, five and a half months, <laughs> um, uh, all that we've discovered about uh, the Spirit's life-giving presence in us should bring us um, not just to have uh, bigger heads, but should bring us to the act of worship. So um, today, I want us to start, as we think about worship and the Holy Spirit, to talk about first, um, kind of the two questions we'll be thinking about today is what is worship and what is the Spirit's role in our worship 
of God. So these are the final questions uh, of the many questions we've asked over the course of this semester. Um, uh, And to start answering those questions, um, let's turn to John chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses um, 19 through 26. Um, But as you turn there, um, the whole chapter, uh, or the whole first part of the chapter is about Jesus encountering the woman of Samaria at the well. So let me give you a little context for the section um, we'll be reading, because we won't read the whole of the Jesus' encounter with this Samaritan woman. Um, but uh, but let's, let me just uh, give a sense. So he's um, encountered the Samaritan woman at a well. Kind of shocking that Jesus, a Jewish man, would, would speak and enter into conversation with this Samaritan and ask her to draw water for him. Um, and he uses this to engage in a deeper conversation with the Samaritan woman in which he exposed her sin and, in her words, told me everything I ever did. Um, and in this conversation, Jesus promised her a well of living water. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So after um, telling her about this life-giving spring of water, um, Jesus, in verse 19, um, uh, and after confronting her with her sin of multiple husbands and living with a man who's not currently uh, her husband, um, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, Am he? So, um, as we think about um, worship and the Holy Spirit, and, and particularly thinking about what it means to worship in spirit and truth, let's start with an even more kind of basic question: What is worship? We do it publicly and um, collectively every Sunday. Um, we do it privately um, when we. Uh, pray and and sing in our own homes. But what are we doing? What is worship? Yeah, Ronnie. Okay, so we've got acknowledging and, um, and uh, praising God for, for who he is, for um, you know, uh, uh, considering his attributes and then turning around and giving him adoration as a result of, of knowing who God is. Um, somebody else over here? Yeah, Mark. Yeah, we have a, a tight, narrow definition of what worship is often. Um, and there is a way we could define it um, uh, as 
everything we've been talking about the last, <laughs> you know, our entire lives as being people filled with the Spirit, are in, filled with that Spirit in order to worship God, as, as we talked about. The purpose of redemption is to create um, us and in, in to be eternal worshipers of God. We're being prepared in, to be made holy. We've been redeemed for the purpose of eternal worship. Um, and so that's clearly much broader than, you know, singing praise songs. Um, I thought it was, yeah, Mike. Yeah, in the word there, you used worthy. Um, if, if you think about worship, um, the, the derivation in, in English is actually um, worth-ship, that um, as we think about this act of worship, um, it's acknowledging um, that worship is a recognition and expression of God's worth that he is worthy of our praise. Um, particularly, uh, um, we won't turn there, um, but you know, if you think of the vision that John has of worship in heaven, um, and we see the, these heavenly creatures and these elders um, um, and these um, saints that are gathered around the throne, you know, what's the first word out of their mouths? Worthy. Um, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And as that worship service shifts to the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So, yeah, that, that acknowledgement that God is worthy um, and he is worthy of of receiving all things. And again, not that he has need, but um, he is worthy. You know, it's, it's to him we owe all allegiance and reference. Uh, Jay, you had your... Yeah, so two things there. One, that as we think about acts of worship, that there are external things we do as part of worship. But there's this internal, those outward acts are a reflection of an internal change, uh, you know, something internal, an internal expression. Um, and expressed, uh, I think, exactly as you say, as, as humility. You know, acknowledging um, that we're not worthy, but this other one, this one outside of us, is worthy of, of giving all things. And if we think about, um, so I, I did the word derivation of worship in, in, in English. The word in Greek, the, the root image is of, um, of kissing a hand um, and the idea of you know, bowing and reverentially kissing the hand of one's master, um, or even, I mean, at its bare root, and this is, yeah, to talk about humbling, um, it, in, in, in kind of, uh, yeah, 
classical Greek, it's used of a dog licking the master's hand. You know, it's, and that's a humbling image. I mean, um, but that's the kind of root image of, of reverence, of acknowledging one superior to ourselves, of humbling ourselves. Again, that action of, of recognizing what we are not um, and acknowledging the one who is worthy. Um, and so as we think about it, it's it, in reference to God as a worship is acknowledging God's worthiness of all that we have. And in terms of ourselves, it's recognizing our, our lack, our need of that God and humbling ourselves in obedience to that God's authority. Um, yeah, Jerry. Yeah, and, and praising him for it. And when you recognize that God is God and we are not, you know, you are led, um, and, and we'll see, by the Spirit to, to, to praise, to worship. Again, to sort of think of one of the reasons I kind of, I, I decided a long time ago <laughs> that we were going to end this class on worship because the point of everything we've studied, all that we've learned about the Holy Spirit, is should be, to, to bring us to know more about God so that we will worship him even more, that we will see how glorious this God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and be led by that Spirit to, to worship and praise him. Yeah, Bill. Yeah. Yeah, and um, y'all, are, y'all are, like all my great quotes. Y'all are giving me great leads into them. <laughs> um, uh, one scholar said this: Worship is the gift of participating in the incarnate Son's communion with the Father, and in so worshiping we worship and glorify the father the son and the holy spirit so yeah it's because of our union and communion with christ and in imitating christ that we're led to this uh act of worship and it you know and again it's the way that uh by worshiping god we're being conformed more and more into that image of christ you know we see that in his life that's what he did um, he acknowledged and gave uh, all glory, honor, and praise to the Father. Um, and again, to sort of think of it, his very incarnation, in a sense, as an act of worship. Um, you know, to sort of think of that Christ hymn in Philippians, that even though he existed uh, in the form of God, he didn't selfishly cling to that, but he uh, emptied himself by taking on flesh, um, taking on the form of a servant, even dying on a cross, so this, and then God exalted him um, to the place where he was. But his, his act of, of humility, in a sense, is an act of worship. Yeah, in, in this acknowledgement, it's, and it's not worship, it's not, you know, to go back to this idea of humility. Um, worship isn't humility um, in the sense of, of, of subjugation, but it's, it's humility in the form of, of gratitude, of love, you know, that, that willingness to bend the knee, that we're not being forced to bend the knee and kiss the ring, but we want to. We desire to. We've recognized, again, to go back to what Jerry said, that we recognize that God is God and that we're not. And, and we see what God has done for us. And that leads us in, in gratitude and love to, to, to worship, um, to, to, to return um, to him uh, or reflect to him um, the, the work that he's done in us. Yeah, Kathy.
Yeah, I mean, again, as we think of worship, um, and we're not today going to break down worship into its different elements, but prayer um, being one of those external acts of worship, you know, as we just think through the various things we do publicly every week, you know, part of that, uh, I mean, just sort of think of our, open our bulletin and sort of see, uh, you know, that is our churches trying to capture what the scriptures instruct us, what should worship should consist of. And part of that is, is, is confession of, of our sin and also confession of our need, you know, where we go and, and supplicate um, just as we see Christ. And again, the way, the, the beautiful thing about what, um, as we think about the role of the Spirit, um, that the Spirit is taking those groanings, um, you know, and, and rendering them, <laughs> you know, taking even the things that we can't even you know, uh, the things that, that weigh on us that we can't even get out of our mouths and is, is communicating that to, to God. Um, so, again, the way that the Spirit in, in leading us to worship is, is, is taking all of that um, and presenting it before the throne. Yeah, other Kathy. <laughs> Yeah, and even I can't do it. I, I need that spirit enabling me to do it. And again, to sort of think about what we've talked about as the um, confessional basis for the gifts of the spirit. You know, no one can acknowledge Jesus as Lord except by the spirit. You know, it's that idea that, you know, our basic, the most basic praise we uh, have and can offer is because of you know, is itself the gift of the Spirit working in us. Yeah, so it's, um, it's sub- submission um, and, and uh, it, you know, it's, it's not coming from ourselves, um, but it's coming from the change that the Spirit is, is working in us. Yeah, Jerry? Yeah, or, I mean, again, other ways, um, you know, churches that practice kneeling at certain points. And again, it's, it's, it's an external acknowledging of, you know, you know open hands, you know, uh, surrendering, I need you, you know, kneeling, just that ancient form of, I mean, the, the very root of the Greek word for worship is kneeling is involved in that. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, and all those are just external forms of, of trying. Again, um, the external forms should be a reflection of the internal work of the Spirit in us. And as we turn from my, from my first question, what is worship, to my second question, what is spiritual worship, or what is worship um, in spirit and truth? Or some of your translations might have worship in the Spirit. You know, so, you know, as we talked about early in the semester, you know, it, sometimes we have to wrestle, you know, is that lowercase spirit or uppercase spirit? Because it's the same, same word. And, you know, this is a place where in some translations you, you might have, the NIV has, you know, we worship in the spirit and truth. And in ESV, worship in spirit and truth, lowercase. Um, but, we, but to think about what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. Yeah, Mark. Well, I mean, we see David doing it in the Psalms, and we read Sieg songs, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, um, I, and as we think about the spirit kind of translating what we say, I think this, you know, it's, 
the spirit can transform our, our even our bitterness, I think, into praise. If we're coming from that true, you know, you're God and I'm not, you know, if it, you know, that's the, the root, you know, and um, and there are moments where we're we're not happy. I mean, there are moments we don't come into this room feeling joyful and in and, and the right place to worship. But that's the work of the spirit. You know, part of that translating work of the spirit is taking, you know, what is is sinful um, and taking what is incomplete in us and, and transforming it into something, you know, yeah, beyond what uh, we at that very moment feel. You know, again, it's, 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 it's based on this internal transformation of our character. It's not, in, and it's not primarily about, you know, what emotional state we're in at the moment when we do it. Um, it's more, you know, true worship is more rooted in this internal change that the spirits wrought in us. Yeah, Jay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, why is he talking to the Samaritan woman? <laughs> or you know the conversation right before this, you know, where where he's like, why don't you go fetch your husband? Well, <laughs> I don't have a husband. Well, actually, you've got five of them, and the person you're living with now isn't currently your husband. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the way it, this... Yeah, and notice how the, the, you know, the whole question of, of, you know, worship or the instruction, worship in spirit and truth comes out of, you know, well, you, you Jews say we've got to go down to Jerusalem to worship and, you know, we worship on this mountain. And it, so it sort of starts with this external thing and, and he moves her from those external, you know, just going through the motions, you know, I mean, because you can, you can worship, um, go through the external acts of worship and and if you lack that you know inner change you lack that you know wellspring um you know if you lack the heart then you're not worshiping in the spirit i mean as we think about what in the spirit is um it's not you know worshiping in the spirit isn't worshiping in a non-material form. <laughs> um, he's, he's, he's not talking about that. It's not a rejection. It's not a material versus spiritual. Um, it's the external versus the internal, you know, that you have to have this internal change to worship um, in spirit and in truth. You know, just following the letter, um, you know, that's not going to lead to true worship, you know. It's the way that um, I wrote it down, so I want to make sure I get it right. Um, it's the way in Psalm 57, um, you know, true worship is a broken spirit and contrite heart. It's not the sacrifices and all that external stuff is there to point us to the internal change that we need, um, that, you know, it's but you know, just going through doing the external practices, 
in itself isn't the act of worship. It's doing those things with this changed heart. That's worship. So, you know, again, it's the way the prophets over and over again, those sacrifices you're, you're doing are empty because <laughs> you're sacrificing on, you know, the Lord's day and you're, uh, you know, abusing the widows and the poor every other day of the week. <laughs> um, your heart isn't right and therefore your worship is unacceptable. Um, it's the combination of, of a right spirit um, and right practices together that make true worship. Um, I saw another hand somewhere. Um, so what else does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? So, I mean, just to, you know, it's moving beyond the external um, and, and getting to the heart. Um, what else would you say means to worship in spirit and in truth? We like the phrase. Um, we use the phrase, I use the phrase all the time. <laughs> I seldom do I stop to think about what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, but it's the spirit that, again, as we've seen over the past weeks, it's the spirit that regenerates our hearts. Um, it's the spirit that, you know, again, think of Psalm 51, you know, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. You know, it's that internal change that the spirit um, uh, um, um, works in us that brings forward the acts of worship. Um, Calvin, um, in talking about worship, said this, the principal thing, the thing that God especially requires in worship is to bring a sincere heart. You know, again, it's, it's and as we think about, you know, the external forms, um, you know, those change between Old and New Testament. Some parts of them are the same, but the, 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 the real matter, consistent between Old and New Testament, um, uh, beyond the external acts of worship is this heart change. You know, that is the beginning place. Or, the, again, to sort of think of the context of John 4, that's the wellspring of worship. You know, this fountain of living water within us from which flows praise and worship. Yeah, it, it doesn't cut us loose to do whatever we want. <laughs> and you sort of think, you know, the two things coupled together that, you know, um, it's not the we're filled with the spirit and now, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're free agents. <laughs> um, you know, it's the spirit. And again, the way that John later talked and talking about the spirit will lead you in all truth, that the spirit and the truth go together and that the, the spirit takes us to worship through Christ. Um, again, to sort of think about the Spirit doesn't provide an independent route to, to God the Father apart from the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. How worship is according to the Word and it's fundamentally Trinitarian. Um, that we approach God the Father through the Son by the, you know, the empowerment of the Spirit according to what the Spirit has revealed in the truth of God's word. Yeah, that we're not, you know, you know, we're not cut loose to, um, 
to be independent entities. Or as, um, again, uh, I was reading a lot of Calvin on worship and trying to prepare for this. And, and Calvin says, worship is not the time for expression of our creativity. <laughs> to sort of come up with, you know, we, you know, worship isn't about us coming up with new ways to, to acknowledge God. Worship is, is about coming to God in the ways that he's commanded us um, in his word. Um, and, you know, I think Calvin was getting exactly to your point that, you know, and that's why the spirit and the truth go together. Um, and uh, again, th- that it's, it's fundamentally Trinitarian. Um, this is an old, uh, an old Southern Presbyterian that you never heard of, but um, I relished the opportunity to dust this book off and literally I had to dust it off. It was, it was pretty thick. Um, but um, uh, uh, this is what um, C.R. Vaughn said. It becomes clear then that the first in the official order of divine worship is the Holy Spirit who enables the worshiper to offer his service in faith to the Son, who as official priest offers it to the Father. This priority, of course, implies no precedence of dignity or honor but merely indicates the appointed official relation to the worship to be offered. The first of the three sacred and mysterious persons of the Godhead in meeting his worshipers as the Holy Spirit of God. The Christian dispensation is emphatically called the dispensation of the Spirit. It is so called from the declared prominence given in the gospel to his part in the work of salvation. The Spirit meets the worshiper to prepare his approach to enable him to exercise faith in the Savior, and thus through the mediation of the Son, realized and secured in its gracious functions by faith, to approach the Father and to call him Abba, an acceptable worship. To enable the worship of the Father through the Son, the Spirit takes the lead in the worship of the saints. No ordinance has any effective spiritual power except as the Spirit gives it. No worshiper's heart is ever in a proper frame for worship, except as the Spirit gives it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, and there is no true faith except that which is the fruit of the Spirit. The great fact, then, which is presented to us in this doctrine of the relation of the Holy Spirit to the worship of the Christian is one of very high and solemn significance, a fact that ought to be fruitful of constant and profound practical effects on all who assemble for divine worship. The fact is that the Lord is in his holy temple in a peculiar posture. The Holy Ghost is pervading every sanctuary where the assembly meets to worship the Father through the Son. How striking the conception when we fully master it. How solemn the thought to what searching inspection is the heart of every worship, a worshiper about to be subjected. The effects which this grand Christian doctrine ought to produce on the whole bearing and demeanor of those who come into the presence and challenge his special attention by assuming the attitude and character of a worshiper are so obviously those dictated by the immediate presence of such a divine being. They are so manifold in form, yet so strongly demanded by the fact that it would hardly seem necessary to specify them. So, you know, worship begins and ends and is pervaded throughout by the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. Um, uh, Jesus pours out his spirit on the church at Pentecost to lift us up into that life of communion with the Father, that we might participate in his glorified life, in his prayers, his intercessions, his mission to the world. Um, Basil of Caesarea said this, it's impossible to worship the Son except in the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to call upon the Father except through the Spirit of adoption. So as we think about worship, to think about it, again, worship in spirit and truth, worship as um, presented to us in the pattern of scripture, but worship, you know, by the empowering presence of the spirit, that these two things go together. Um, external forms are made 
um, viable by the internal work of the Spirit in us. Yeah, and to think of that, as we think about that joy and the change of attitude, and what, again, what's different about, um, you know, worship um, and, and this bowing of the knee, it, we're not bowing the knee as, as servants, but as Paul says, you know, we're, it's the spirit of adoption, you know, and as we come, you know, he says both in Romans and Galatians, you know, we have the spirit that makes us sons, you know, this, you know, the work of Jesus adopts us and the spirit allows us to call out truly as children to our heavenly father. Um, so we're not coming from a position of servile fear, but we're coming from this joyful relationship as adopted children. And so even when we do come from a position of of need or, or, um, or um, yeah, lamenting our present circumstances, we're secure in the fact of this knowledge that we're children. Um, and we, we don't have to fear rejection or we don't have to fear the character of the one we come to, knowing that he is our loving father, which enables this to us to come in joy. I mean, again, joy because we're coming as those who were outside and have brought inside, you know, who've been adopted into um, the adopted into the family of God, and therefore co-heirs alongside Christ, as Paul says. Yeah, Bill. I've been waiting for like all day for you. you, you I love it, that new Bill McCaldy. I could have written it down in my notes. Bill McCaldy, I, did, I just didn't know when it was going to come. So that's why, you know, but Bill McCaldy, quote Romans, <laughs> here. <laughs> No, it's a good reputation for um, uh, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable God to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual uh, building. Um, and I think uh, as we think about the Holy Spirit, and as the Holy Spirit who who being the one who guides us into worship of the triune God. I, I think that's a great verse to end our semester on. Yeah, or Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So with that, um, let me close our um, time together today and our um, study of the Holy Spirit um, this semester. Let's pray. O trying God, all glory and honor, laud and praise, uh, uh, you are worthy of all these, and to you we give all these. Uh, We humble ourselves before you, um, not out of servile fear, but out of the joy of being received um, as children, um, that you have created in us a new heart by your spirit, that you've justified and adopted us by the work of Christ on the cross and conquering the grave, uh, rising to new life, and that um, you've united us to him by your spirit, that um, the son who, uh, who worked adoption for us, uh, your spirit enables us to call out to you as children, and we do cry out to you, Abba, Father, um, and what glorious words that your spirit enables us um, as we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And help us now in this coming hour to worship you as we sing and as we pray, as we hear your word proclaimed, as we partake of your sacraments, um, as we, uh, um, all of this is an acknowledgement of who you are and what you've done for us, what you've revealed uh, to us in your word, what you've accomplished uh, for us in the sacrificial uh, redemptive work of your son, what you've applied to us by your Holy Spirit. Um, Trying God, enable us by your spirit to worship you this day and every day uh, in spirit and truth, um, this day as we do it together as a united body of Christ, and then uh, as we continue to worship uh, as uh, individual members of that body, help everything that we do be done in a position of, um, of worship to you, um, acknowledging who you are and what you've done, and that you are worthy of praise, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.